part one of at least a three-part, maybe a four-part series. It depends on how far we get today on spiritual warfare. I'm going to share. We're going to pray in a second. Let me just give you an idea. I know that the enemy is not happy about this set of messages. Here's what happened this morning. Three o'clock, get a phone call from next door. As you know, we live next door to our in-laws. Connie's parents live next door. Uh, we will be praying in a moment. We sent Lee in an ambulance to the hospital this morning, possible heart attack. Uh, certainly his leukemia has flared up. So that's how my day began. Uh, my dog grabbed my Bible, then ran out in the yard with it at about 3.40, which I had left it on the table. Got here this morning. PowerPoint doesn't work because somebody got in and messed around with the computer. So that got back up and running. There is a real enemy, family. And he hates everything you stand for. And I want to be very careful here. This is not the demon, demon who's got the demon, demon under every rock. And, you know, ooh, let's be really afraid. This is the reality of your life as a true believer in Jesus Christ. You have a real enemy who really hates you. You have a real enemy who, if he could, would really kill you. You have a real enemy who ultimately thinks that he can defeat God. And he rages. He roars. He would seek to destroy and kill and maim And as we begin this morning, we have all experienced those things where you get up on Sunday morning and all week long, the kids have been great. Sunday morning, they become possessed. (laughs) All week long, the, the animals have loved you affectionately. On the morning, they eat your car keys. Uh, all week long, everybody's been kind and nice to each other, and all of a sudden, the heat gets turned up. You go in to get a box of cereal, and the thing is packed with ants. You know, it's just, and, and I'm making a little bit light of it, but we, we sometimes miss exactly how much the battle rages. Satan doesn't want you here this morning. Probably many of you have experienced what I've experienced this morning, and that's a full-blown frontal assault. Don't go. You know, it was, it was hard to put my father-in-law in an ambulance and then go study and come here. That's hard. You know, everything within you says, I don't, I'm going to go with my wife. I need to be there for her and, and be there with Connie's mom. And, you know, we're, we're like, I actually asked her, I said, honey, what do you want me to do? Because I'm pretty sure that if I call up Chuck or Mike or somebody will come and fill in on a moment's notice, I'm sure. And she says, no, God's... Got it under control, so I'm here. But there was a full-blown attack. And sometimes they're like that, and sometimes they're very subtle. Amen? That person that you deal with at work every day, it's like, it's like, man, wow, what did I do? Here's what you did. You said yes to Jesus. And the moment you said yes to Jesus, the moment you said yes to Jesus, you declared war on Satan. And he on you. So, spiritual warfare, part one, this morning, your adversary. Why don't we pray, ask the Lord to minister, and we'll pray for Lee at the same time. Father, thank you. God, thanks for my dad. 
You've given him five extra years we didn't think we'd have. And Lord, we're grateful for those five years. And we pray that you'd extend them once again. Lord, we've watched him beat leukemia because of you. We've watched him regain his strength because of you. And this morning he's in a hospital bed. We pray that you'd touch him. But God, we know one day it is appointed unto man one time to take our last breath and then to see you face to face. And he's lived a long life. We ask for some more years, but we also recognize that you're good. And we just simply declare that you are good. Your mercy endures forever. And so, Lord, we trust you with his life. Be with Connie this morning and Billy is there, there at the hospital. We pray that you be with the doctors and the nurses. And, Father, may we not forget that the battle belongs to the Lord, that you are able and we are more than conquerors through you who loves us. And so, God, as we open your word, as we rest and trust, as we walk with you, God, would you bless us? Would you anoint your word, cause us to lay hold of it as truth, instruct us, bless us, fill us, touch us, there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you. God, don't let them escape this place without a real relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 and to verse 10. As we have studied, where did we just leave? We left a series that I believe is directly from the Word of God in bringing the light home. Amen? Starts in our marriages, moves to our interpersonal relationships, moves to our children, then goes out into the world, into the workplace. We're taking the light out now. Now does it make all the sense in the world to you that the very first thing that the Holy Spirit would cause Paul to write is, Finally, brethren, because it's not going to be easy at times. If you're going to be light in this dark world, it's going to be hard at times because the enemy doesn't want that light going forth. The enemy sure doesn't want your marriage doing well in Jesus, doesn't want your children doing well in Jesus, hates the fact that you are an example at work of Jesus, hates the fact that you bring your Christian ethics and morality into the world that Satan has a very firm grip on. Amen? And so it makes absolute sense that the very next words are, after closing this section that deals with marriage and parenting, child-rearing, and the workplace. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters in Christ. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Would you please underline in the Lord. Notice it doesn't say, be strong in you. It doesn't say, be strong in Jeff. It doesn't say, be strong in the fact that you go to church. It doesn't say, be strong in anything Except, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of His might, underline in the power of His might. Is it your power? Is your power able to defeat the enemy of your soul? The answer is no. 
If you're resting and trusting in your own ability, if you're resting and trusting in church, if you're resting and trusting in anything save the Lord of glory, if you are resting and trusting in any power source save the Creator God, then you're going to come up short. And so Paul makes it very clear. The Holy Spirit instructs us through him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He goes on to state, put on the whole armor of God. Now remember where Paul is. He writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. He is in prison in Rome. He's chained to a Roman guard. Makes every sense in the world because the people of the region knew about Rome. They were the ruling power. And Paul's writing from a very military position of being chained to a Roman guard. Be strong in the power of the Lord in his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And that's not a question, and it's not questioning God's power. It says, basically, there's only one way you can stand against the devil. And that's in the power of the Lord and His might, not in your own. And you need to be fully girded up in order to do that. Because if you take the devil on, head on, in your own strength and your own power, you're going to get slaughtered. You're not going to win. You're going to lose. And so make no mistake, he begins by stating this is a real battle with a real foe, and you better really be prepared by really having a relationship with the one true and living God through his Son, Jesus Christ. That you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice verse 12. And so this begins uh, what will be a lengthy time for us of searching the Scriptures diligently. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The enemy's not leukemia. The enemy's not your spouse. The enemy's not your children. The enemy's not your dog. The enemy's not your congressman. The enemy's not the state senate. The enemy is, in fact, a spiritual foe as far as the child of God is concerned. Manifest in many, many physical ways. But the enemy is a spiritual enemy when it comes to this type of war. That you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, and therefore, once again, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Amen? The battle's real. It's not something that you see on the chiller channel, or the horror channel, or you know, some movie that you dreamt up. And so this morning I want to take some time to really clearly define who our enemy is. And so today, your adversary, and really we fight principally a battle against an unholy trinity of things that when we look at them, it becomes very clear exactly who we're fighting. First and foremost, when you look at the world and all that it is, 
it is not friendly to your walk with the Lord. Amen? And, and the best way to look at the world, and if you want to find that passage, we already covered it in Ephesians chapter 2, there in the first three verses, it basically gives us this picture of three entities. One is the world, one is your flesh, and the other is the actual leader of the opposition forces, none other than the devil himself, mentioned here in our passage before us as this host of wickedness. They have a leader. Just as much as God in heaven has his angels, so the enemy has his angels, if you will. Fallen angels. Demonic hosts. There are literally enemies of God roaming about the entire world, seeking whom they might destroy under the influence and the sway of none other than the wicked one himself. And that's why when people come to me and say, well, you know, I think you're being a little bit, you know, a little bit sensationalistic. No, I don't believe I am. I believe that the battle is very real. And if you don't see that in the world that we're in today, then perhaps you probably ought to spend a little more time in your Bible. Because what's going on in our world today is exactly what your Bible says would be going on in the very last days. That good will be called evil and evil will be called good. That children will hate their parents. That men will be lovers of them own selves. That the world would wax worse and worse. That it wouldn't get better. That there would be deceivers that would come. There would be false prophets that would come. And in fact, the last days are marked by an intensity of evil ruling and reigning. And when you look at our world, it simply is not getting better. And if you believe it is, I, I believe that there is some deception going on in your heart and your mind. Because the world is getting worse. We have more poverty-stricken people today on the earth than any other time in human history. We have more people dying of disease today than ever in human history. We have more people murdered today than ever in human history. We have more crime. We have more criminals. We have more people with less than we have ever had in human history. It's not a friendly place. That's why... The world, and the best way to describe that is not that everything on the earth is bad. It's not. Matter of fact, God created this earth and he made it good originally. But there's been millennia of human history to take that goodness and, and begin to destroy it. And so all human society, apart from God, is what's being talked about there in Ephesians 2, the world. The flesh. Y'all have a fleshly nature. Amen? When I pulled out onto Pine Knot Boulevard, up at Big Bear Lake, as I, as I sat very, very carefully in that line of exactly ten cars when we pulled into it, ten cars! It took almost 40 minutes. There's sheriff's officers in the intersection just kind of standing there going, hopeless, hopeless. And people walked across and blocked the traffic. And I wasn't thinking, Lord, you're so good. <laughs> My flesh was like, 
Well, maybe somebody, if they just kind of plowed through the people with their car and paved away. We all have flesh, amen? There are things we think that we shouldn't think. There are things we do we shouldn't do. There are ways we speak we shouldn't speak, even as Christians. You have flesh. I have flesh. Praise God, my flesh is a whole lot deader than it used to be, because I probably would have acted on that when I was in my 20s. It's like, the world's got plenty of people. Maybe I can just run over their toes. So this unholy trinity, the world, its system that's around us, it's opposed to everything that we stand for. That's why when you watch those commercials, what do they appeal to? Your flesh. Because the world system and the flesh are in cahoots with guess who? The devil. And does that sound kind of sensationalistic? At times, sure. Until you look at the facts and then you realize it's absolutely true. Because the system is designed not for you, but for the world and for the flesh. Look at where commercials are. Family of God. I have been on this earth the better part of 60 years. I've watched it go from it being illegal for you to use foul language on TV and you'd get arrested to... We're actually now going to have an hour, once it gets past 8 o'clock, you can use every filthy vulgarity known to man on TV. It used to be that on television, not only could you not show any nudity, that if you did that, you'd go to jail, and now you can show pretty much anything you want on TV. The world appeals to the flesh, and it's run by the guess who? The devil. We need to not deceive ourselves. And so this morning, who is this enemy? What is he doing? Let's look at a few things here. Firstly, let me remind you that the word that's translated devil actually means accuser. If you look at Revelation chapter 12, you'll see that it means accuser. You see, what the accuser does is he accuses, amen? He says, oh, well, they're Christians. I mean, they're, they're nuts anyway. You know, after all, they're narrow-minded and bigoted, and, and if they happen to be white males, they're responsible pretty much for the world's problems. I know that's an exaggeration, but if you listen to people, is that not what's being said right now? Christians are responsible for the problems the world are facing. When we look at the world, there is a huge move to say, well, if we just got rid of Christians. You know, I mean, after all, they have this way about them. The devil is an accuser. The name that we have translated Satan means adversary. It means one who is against. He's the enemy of God. And because you've aligned yourself with God, guess whose enemy he is? He's your enemy. If you look at the Greek and the Hebrew names, Abaddon and Apollyon, used for Satan. Those names mean destroyer or destruction. Are you hearing anything good in all of this? There's a reason he's called what he's called. 
He's called the tempter in Matthew chapter 4. He's called a murderer, the originator of murder. He's called the originator or the father of lies there in John 8. He's compared to a raging lion in 1 Peter chapter 5. He is the serpent of the garden. He's that one who's the deceiver who comes as, well, you know, did God really say? He's a snake. We use that term in our English language, don't we? When somebody's really a deceiver, we call him a snake. The dude's a snake. That's not a good thing. And yet some people, well, you know, I mean, it's kind of harsh. You don't really. I've actually had people, well, I feel sorry for the, I do not feel sorry for the devil. I don't go home and have a pity party. I got asked one time, I was doing, I used to do a radio show called Scripturally Speaking. I got asked by a little 12 year old boy, well, do you pray for the devil? You know, I had to stop and think for a second. And I thought, well, no. Because he's chosen which way he wants to go. And he's been that way for a very long time. And in fact, when he was created, as we'll see in a little bit, he was created perfect. He's chosen his estate. His last couple of things, he's also called an angel of light. Why do you suppose that is? If he's a deceiver and a liar, what can we expect him to do? Attempt to look like he's just fine. Amen? So who is the light of the world? It's Jesus. Amen? He's transferred that light to us. He's given us the task of bringing the light to the earth. That's why what we just studied is relevant. And so you can kind of imagine that at some point in time, wouldn't the enemy want to try and convince you that his way is okay? He also is called an angel of light. And he's called the God of this age. Satan is a created being. And I want to be really, really blunt here. He is not God's equal. Okay? Everybody got that? He's not on one side what God is on the other. Does everybody get that? Satan is a defeated foe, and one day he's going to be cast into the pit. But right now, he's a very powerful foe, and he is still at large on this earth. You can look at him like a criminal who has actually already been tried, found guilty, and a death sentence pronounced upon him, but he's kind of gotten out of that prison situation, and he's roaming maybe on his last week on earth. And have you ever noticed how people in that situation are pretty desperate? Did we not have one of those people here not long ago up in Big Bear? And after it was found out that he had already murdered a couple of police officers, he didn't think a thing about shooting a few more. Amen? Christopher Dorner. Multiply times ten billion. And you have Satan. He doesn't care who he kills. Doesn't care who he hurts. Doesn't care how miserable you are. But he comes across as, well, I've got a cause. I, you know, I have another way. And there are people who want to follow that way. Since he's a created being and he's not eternal in the sense that God is eternal. And here's the difference. 
God is the uncreated cause of everything that exists. Satan is a created being created by God who lives in eternity at this present point in time, but he will not live there forever. So on one hand, you have a created being. On the other hand, you have an uncreated being. They are not equals. So on one hand, please don't give the devil any more credit than he deserves. The other side of that is, do not underestimate his power. And do not challenge him to a fight. Sometimes I shake my head when I hear people, well, you know, I'm just going to kick Satan right in the nose. Not a good idea. Are you a victor in Christ? Absolutely. But I know this, Scripture describes a few wrestling matches where Satan got involved and it wasn't a good thing. He's very powerful. So who is he actually? First, let me ask you just a bunch of questions this morning, and I think we can make it through them very quickly. Who is Satan? The clearest pictures that we have come from Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28. And there in in chapter 14 of Isaiah, what it says is this in verse 12, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down from the ground, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, notice where the problem lies. It's a heart condition. It's always been a heart condition. And notice what he says, and there's a number of I will statements here in these handful of verses. I will ascend unto heaven. That word ascend means to be lifted above. Not just get there, but go above it. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. In other words, he wants to rule God's people. It's real simple who this is. On the farthest sides of the north, speaking of the utter extremities of heaven, for I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And yet God says of him, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol into the lowest depths of the pit. Satan is none other than a fallen angel. And I believe the easiest way to understand him is when you look at your life, and I look at my life, and we look at love in a general sense, for love to be real, it must be, as I've said before, volitional. Amen? I must choose to love. If I am forced to love, if there's no other option, then I can say to you, do we really even know if that's love? Because if I make you do anything, then it is not of you. And so if you look at the whole of creation, one of the things that becomes pretty obvious is that God did not create evil, but he must create an option. In other words, there has to be something to choose besides him. Otherwise, your love's not volitional. You haven't made a choice to love God. You've just simply been forced to love him. That would make him sovereign, certainly. That would make him almighty, certainly. But it would not make him a God of love. And so Satan is a created being. Let me go a step further. If God is God, can he be taught anything? No, he can't learn anything. God is absolutely 
omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He knows everything. He is all-powerful, and he's everywhere at once. It's a way to look at that. So he's always been. He is uncreated. He is the uncaused cause. And as such, there can't be anything that he does not know or did not know. However, he can certainly create things that he would allow and use for the purpose of the rest of his creation. And I believe that is where Satan fits into the picture. God knew all along exactly the character of every last angel. I believe God knew that a third of them would fall with Satan. I believe that upon creating him, he knew that Satan was not a good guy. Your Bible says he was created as a cherub, the highest order of angels, that he in fact was in the ranking hierarchy of heaven, but that he would eventually become an adversary. And so as such, he becomes that which can be chosen apart from God. So even though God created him and God doesn't want anybody to follow him, we then have a choice to make. Choose this day whom you will serve. Is that not what Scripture says? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If there's nothing to believe, if there's no other option, if there's nothing to choose, there's no other option, would those statements even be true? They wouldn't be true. And God would have simply forced you into a relationship with him, which would not be love. And so I believe Satan though evil incarnate, has a purpose. And God's known that all along. Having said that, let's look at some of the things that he's done. In Genesis chapter 3, we find this serpent of old, this deceiving snake, this one who comes to Eve. Uh, it's interesting that elsewhere in Scripture, he's also called a, ser- uh, called a serpent. If you look at Re- Revelation chapter 12, chapter 20, you see the same analogy. So at the beginning, he was a serpent. At the end, he remains a serpent. He's always had that character. And I want to remind you what that character is. What did he say to Eve? The biggest lie he said to Eve is, Has God surely said... He questioned God's authority, did he not? And he caused Eve to also question God. Amen? So he's always been stirring things up. He's always been a deceiver. Now, we don't know what would have happened because God is God. But I know what Satan brought into this world, and that's why Jesus himself in John chapter 8 said he is the father of all lies. And the word there used for father means originator. It means he's the one that invented it. If I, you know, come to you and find out that you invented the Rubik's Cube, you're the originator. You're the father of the Rubik's Cube. And you'll be very wealthy. If you invented... You know, some, you invented the Twinkie. You are my hero. You're the originator of the Twinkie. No one else can claim that, amen? There's only one originator of the Twinkie. 
May he be praised forever. <laughs> Trying to lighten this up. This is, this is one of those subjects. Nobody else can claim that, amen? So when Jesus says he's the originator of murder and lies, nobody else can claim that. He invented them. And Jesus goes on to tell us why. Because when he speaks a lie, he speaks, your Bible says, from his native tongue. Out of his own resources, your Bible likely says. In other words, that's who he is. That's what he is. He has always been a liar. He's always been a deceiver. He's always been a murderer. Now does it surprise you that in the first generations of people from Adam and Eve, what do we find invented but murder and lying? Cain and Abel. Uh, where's your brother? His blood cries out. Oh, I didn't do anything with him. Uh, where are your clothes? Well, um, man, there's been a bandit here in the Garden of Eden, and they took off with our clothes. We don't, I don't know. Who told you you were naked? You get the picture? The enemy's been doing what the enemy has been doing for a very long time. Some people think that Satan is a force or some impersonal type of personification of evil. Brothers and sisters, he is a real, literal being. Jesus said so. Luke chapter 10, by the way, I saw Satan fall. That's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, away with you, Satan. Jesus thought he was personal. Jesus thought it was a legitimate personal attack. He's personal. Paul called him the God of this world, the God of this age. You, you see, he's a legitimate, real foe. He's like if you ran into the opposition army's commander-in-chief. That's who this is. You're in battle, you go to war, and there you are, you're on the front lines, and you're being shot at. All of the soldiers on the other side are against you, but behind them is somebody leading the fight. Amen? That's the enemy. That's Satan. He may not be personally engaged in any battle. Just as we have today, we have a commander-in-chief, we have the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Amen? The Joint Chiefs of Staff rarely leave the Pentagon. They don't go out in the front lines. And our president doesn't go out on the front lines. We don't want him to. We want him to stay someplace where he's safe and secure. So the enemy is not out on the front lines as a general rule. He only goes after the big folks. But he sends his minions to do his bidding. And so he is the one who is behind all of those things. And as we saw there in Isaiah 14, I want you to notice a couple of things. The root, basically, of all things that come from Satan are two basic principles. The sin of pride and the sin of unbelief. That's it. That's why it says, I will become like the Most High God. I will exalt myself above His throne. I will, I will, I will. The problem with Satan is he is the first narcissist. He invented it. He said, I'm going to become like the Most High God. 
He, he in essence, said, I will become God. I find it rather tragic and somewhat interesting that that is a basic tenet of Mormon theology. You get to become your own God. So if you think Mormons are Christians, you might want to dwell on that for a moment. Because they believe that part of their plan of salvation is one day you get your own planet and you get to be God. Not a good thing. Because everybody else that's ever done that has been aligned with Satan. He's the originator of trying to convince people they can become their own God. He basically says to God, I'm better than you. How is Satan like declared the God of this world? And obviously we don't see a whole lot of people as Satanists. Amen? Go try and find a church of Satan. They're pretty far between. But I'll tell you this. You can find the ruler of the God of this age in virtually everything. Look at the commercials on TV. It's mind-boggling to me how destructive those commercials actually are. And I challenge you, not for the sake of watching them and for any other reason, and to realize exactly how bad it is. You sit there and you look at it, it's like, if I actually did that, I'd destroy my wife, destroy my children, destroy my parents, the whole world as far as I'm concerned, would become unhinged if I lived my life according to the way the world says you ought to live. You see, Satan's influence is everywhere in this world. People ask, well, why are there so many wars? Satan. Why is there so much violence? Satan. Why are there so many people addicted to everything? Satan. Why do people hate? Satan. Why is there racism? Satan. It's all from him. They're all lies and deception. If you look at what is going on in our world, you can see very quickly that there is somebody orchestrating all this stuff because it's all linked together. It's called the world. And he's behind the scenes twisting and tweaking every bit of it and getting his guys to do his bidding. That's why he's called the prince of the power of the air. He's the ruler of this world or of this age. These titles give us some sense of how he functions. And so, in essence, as far as the unbelieving world is concerned, that's actually who the ruler is. Now, does that mean that every unsaved person you have is a Satanist in your life? No, of course not. But what it does mean is without Christ, the influence that he exerts is greater than the influence of Christ in their life, and they need the Lord Jesus to be set free from that. Otherwise, they follow after the God of this age. That's why I've told you so many times that it shouldn't surprise you that people who don't have Jesus do all manner of really crazy, silly things, and so would you without the Lord, and so would I. We need to come to a right relationship with the God who created us and not the liar who deceives the liar who deceives wants to destroy you. You see that other person who is not your spouse all of a sudden looks really attractive, not because God wants to set you free from the bondage of marriage, but because the in image that you have in your mind is the world's image. It appeals to your flesh, and the God of this age is going, do it. You'll be happy. And behind the scenes, he's going, and it'll kill you. 
He is the God of this age. He is the head of every false philosophy. He's the head of every false doctrine, of every false religion, every cult on the earth. He is the head. And that's why it's so diverse. When you look at the world's religions, what do you see? That's why none of them, save biblical Christianity, preach that there is a God who loves them. Amen? There's no God who loves you in Buddhism. There's no God who loves you in Islam. Matter of fact, God doesn't like you in Islam. He tolerates you. At best. The Hindu gods, all 2,400 of them that are named, don't like you. They're your enemy. And they're trying to buffet you into a direction so that you'll be changed in the afterlife. There's only one religion on the face of the earth, if you want to call it that, where God died for you. And that's Jesus. The rest of it's a lie from the pit of hell. So when people, well, can't we just all get along? Uh, As human beings, we want to try. But your Bible is incompatible with every other world religion. Do you get that? Why? Because they are based in the deceiver. Islam and biblical Christianity are not compatible, period. They're not. So he is the God. That that political correctness, that tolerance that the world says is so precious. And again, hear me well. I'm not preaching a message of hatred or dislike here. I'm saying you can't capitulate to evil. And so when somebody comes to you and says, well, you know, I'm I'm a Muslim, then you need to pray for them, but you can't tell them they're okay with God. Because they're not okay with God. Because there's only one God. And He has a Son. And they don't believe that their God has a Son. Part of the tenets of Islam says God has no Son. Period. That there is one prophet. The prophet Muhammad. They're completely incompatible. And the God of this age has blinded the eyes of 1.47 billion people. That's a persuasive argument. You see that false doctrine, that false political correctness. You ever wondered maybe why God just doesn't kill Satan? I used to think that all the time. Why don't you just kill him? Just put him in the abyss now and do away with this. Firstly, let me tell you that God has Satan on a very short leash. We see that in the book of Job. He can only go so far, and then he's done. That's all he can do. And God allows him to do what he is doing right now. And if God at any moment decides it's over, it's over. With a capital O and a V and an R and an E. Over. Done. (laughs) Finished. God's got him on a short leash. And for a time, he's been allowed to do the things he's doing. And ultimately, none of us will ever know all the reasonings behind why God has allowed that. But I know my God, and because my God is a God of love, and he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, he has a plan, and I can rest and trust in that plan. 
Secondarily, I know that all things, because my Bible says so, work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Whatever God has planned for Satan, ultimately it's actually going to work out for good. We don't see that right now. I don't get why he allows the enemy to do what he does. I, I don't get it. But I trust that God understands fully and completely because he says, Jeff, I'm working this out for good. You may not know what I'm doing right now. You haven't got a clue how I run the universe, and I don't need your help. He doesn't call me on the, in the morning. Go, well, Jeff, what do you think? You know, I was planning on letting Satan go for another week, and, uh, you know, what do you think about that? He doesn't ask. But I know he knows what he's doing. He's managed to, to run the universe for all these millennia. However long it's been here, I'm going to trust him with what's left. I know that calling into question God's plans, his purposes, and objectives is to call into question God himself. As a created being, I'm not questioning God. It's silly. It's foolish. You know, like I said, he didn't call me up. and You know, I was saying we need a galaxy over here. Can you tell me what the gravitational rotation mass of that is so that I can make sure it's in the right place? You know, I, I, I never knew about this whole dark matter, uh, you know, this whole dark energy thing. Uh, Jeff, what do you think? Don't know what's going on over there, but, boy, I sure hope somebody comes up with an answer. I don't know what God's doing in all those things. I just know he's doing it. And if he wasn't doing it, we wouldn't be here. The tuning of the universe itself tells me there is a God. The incredible, unbelievable, and yet finite intricacies of how you are designed as a person tell me there is a God. When I look at creation, I know there's a God. And if he can pull that off, I don't think he needs me to question why he's doing what he's doing and allowing Satan on this earth. He has to have a plan. And whatever it is, it's going to work out good. Sometimes we ask ourselves, why does God allow Satan to attack us? There are so many answers to that question. Uh, Number one, when you go through trials and you come out the other side, it glorifies God. Because God gets to point at you. Look, hey Satan, come here. See Jeff? Remember what you tried to do to him last week? Guess what? Didn't work. Satan's going. God's glorified in those trials. Sometimes it keeps us from falling into sin. It builds our faith. It causes us to grow. It equips us to help other people. Proves the reality that we have a relationship with God in the first place. Amen? Imagine if the first time something happened in your life, and there was no trial, no tribulation, and everything was just easy, then the accusation that Satan had in the first chapter of the book of Job would be true. He only serves you because you've made it good on him. Remember the accusation? That's what Satan said about Job. Well, just let me at him. Give me his life. Let me take away his family and take away his herds and take away his home and let me afflict his life and he'll curse you to his face. He'll just walk up to you, God, and say, I don't love you anymore. Guess what happened? Did Job have some issues? Yeah. Did he have some dumb friends? Absolutely. 
Did he have a wife that wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed at times? Hey, Job, curse God and die. Remember she said that. Could have been the other way around, too. Might have been Job saying it to his wife, because we ain't the sharpest tool in the shed sometimes either. But the fact of the matter is, God had a plan even in all of that. And if you look at the end of the story, what happens? Tenfold increase in everything that Job had prior to all the trouble. And God's going, that's my boy. Look at his family now. He's more blessed than he was at the beginning. And in all of those things, Job charged not God. You see, for us, we're like, oh, gosh. I wasn't a fun phone call this morning at 3 in the morning. The ambulance is on its way. You know, you can kind of go, oh, gosh, Lord, What? Or you can say, God, you're sovereign in all of the heavens and you know exactly what you're doing. I don't get it right now. I don't like it and it hurts, but I trust you. When Satan fell from heaven, sometimes we ask why God even allowed that to happen. When did it happen? Did it happen, you know, in millennia past and jillions of years ago? We don't know. But I know this. Whatever God does, He does right, and He does with the right motivation. And so when we look at some of these things, we need to understand the abilities that Satan has. Does Satan still have access to heaven? Your Bible apparently says, yes, he does. Some people have trouble with that. Let me help you a little bit. He doesn't have complete access to heaven. He gets summoned to heaven. That's what your Bible says. God says, hey, I want to talk to you. That's when he gets to go. Secondarily, those visits are temporary. He doesn't get to roam around heaven wherever he wants to go. He's in the presence of the Lord, and in no way is the purity of the Lord tainted by that, because basically God just simply quarantines him. He says, you're evil, I know you're evil, I will deal with you as I please. It gives us a sense of God's power. Satan's access to heaven is also on the basis of God judging him. And so in that way, we can expect God to, to act towards all one day who have sin that's unrepentant and uncovered by the blood of the Lamb. And so God is still fully in control. Doesn't compromise His holiness in any way because He fully, at any point in time, can do anything He wants with Satan. And He one day will. We'll get a little bit more of that next week as we begin to look at our defensive weapons. One final question. Why, why are Jesus and Satan referred to, both of them, as the morning star? The answer is pretty simple. Because Satan has always tried to mimic Jesus. Part of that lying and deceiving nature. The NIV, King James, New King James, translates son of the morning star and both their in both their places and positions on this earth. Same as Jesus is compared to a lion and Satan's compared to a lion, but there's a huge difference between which one's the more powerful of the two lions. One is the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah, and one is a lying lion that seeks to destroy. One has good in mind, one has bad in mind. And so, in that way, Satan very often tries to come 
and say, follow me. After all, I'm a lion too. Don't, don't bother. Those claws are nothing. Pay no attention to them. Those teeth, that's ah, kind of like the little Red Riding Hood story. Oh, what beautiful teeth you have. Ah, the better to eat you with, my dear. <laughs> Satan is a counterfeit. He is a fake. And he tries to do everything he can to pull off looking like Jesus. Oh, your life will be better if you just do things my way. After all, I mean, has God truly said? You know, if you just would listen to that worldly counsel, I mean, after all, you need a promotion, don't you? If you just cheat on your taxes, I mean, after all, cheating on your taxes, I mean, the, the government's wicked anyway. You should cheat on your taxes. And I know that I do this a little too good, but I'm doing it for emphasis. That's how the enemy works, doesn't he? The enemy does not come to you and go, Hi, I'm Satan, and I'd like to kill you. He comes and he says, Follow me. That, that church thing? They're crazy. They're way too into this Jesus thing. I mean, they're excluding everybody. I mean, do you really believe? Do you really believe that everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus is going to perish? That's a lot of people. My religion's not like that. I include everybody. Everybody gets something. Doesn't tell you what, though. Satan never tells you the end. He only tells you the beginning. He never tells you the reward. He only tells you the bait to get you going. You have a strong enemy. Praise God, one day he is going to be wrapped up and chained and thrown into the bottomless pit wherein he will never bother anybody ever again. In the meantime, as these next couple of studies unfold, we're going to figure out that the Bible says there's a way to have victory every single day against his attacks. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee. He has overcome, and because of him we are overcomers. Rest and trust in that week. Next week we look at our defensive weapons. How to fight the defensive fight. Then we'll look at our offensive weapons. How to actually go after the right things that God wants in our lives. How to attack a little bit. How to declare war back on the one who's declared war on you. In the meantime, God is good. Amen? And we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the power that you have to work in us, to will and to do, as is your good pleasure. And Lord, we thank you that the victory was won at Calvary's cross. We believe that you, Jesus, said it is finished because it was finished. Nothing more needs to be done. Lord, that that security that we have because of our relationship with you is every bit as secure as seeing the sunrise in the morning. And so, God, we pray that you cause us to walk in strength, cause us to take up the whole armor, Lord, to prepare ourselves for what lies ahead. 
Thank you that you have prepared us. Thank you that you will fight for us. And thank you that we are victors because you have won the war. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen.